Blog Talk Radio. Sometimes the feeling is right. You fall in love for the first time. Heartbeat and kisses so sweet. So much I'm loving the moonlight. I He was known to the scout that 
he was known to scout the jungle ahead of other men, toting his heavy M16 machine gun like a rifle. On May 21, 1966, then-specialist 4th Class Dolby was in the middle of his first tour in Vietnam. He was part of the 1st Cavalry Division Platoon on a mission near Akaha when the men walked into an ambush. Six soldiers were immediately killed by machine gun fire. Several other were wounded, including the platoon officer, 2nd Lieutenant Robert H. Crum, Jr., within an hour of the ambush, first shot the lieutenant first let me start that several others were wounded including the platoon officer who was second lieutenant robert h crumb jr within an hour of the ambush's first shot the lieutenant was drenched in blood from a bullet wound he sat against the tree and relinquished command of of his men to specialist dolby oh man in brigadier general S.L.A. Marshall's 1967 book about Vietnam, Battles in the Monsoon, an entire chapter is dedicated to Specialist Dolby's rescue efforts. Marshall said Specialist Dolby was one of the rarest warriors, a man with keen imagination, who at the same time when under fire seemed to be wholly without fear. While fully exposed to enemy fire, Specialist Dolby launched his own assault on the enemy machine gun bunker until he expended all of his ammunition. I prayed in the beginning that when I didn't have time to pray. (laughs) Oh, he wanted to make up for lost time. Specialist Dolby later then said, action on the ridge that day, nothing that bullets were going by under his arm, between his legs, and past his head. It must have been divine intervention. After reloading, he single-handedly killed three enemy machine gun operators. Let me repeat that. After reloading, he single-handedly killed three enemy machine gun operators, according to his Medal of Honor citation. Spotting a a wound, Comrade Specialist Dolby picked up the man and carried him on his shoulders to safety for medical treatment. He then crawled through the gunfire to within 50 meters of the enemy position, where concealed within the ridge by camouflage mats covered with jungle fawns. He loaded and lobbed several grenades at the face of the bunker to mark them for the airstrike. After a four-hour battle, Specialist Doby organized the withdrawal of his troops by artillery fire and, and strike obliter- obliterated the area. The platoon lost eight men and 14 others were wounded, including Sergeant Alonzo People, the bravest man I ever knew, maybe the bravest person to ever lived. People later called Specialist Dolby. He saved us all. Today's show is dedicated in loving memory of David C. Dolby. What does it mean to be an American? Hmm. What does Love Talk Radio. I mean, you know, what the, ther- the term, what does it mean to be an American? Well, we're going to play the tribute, the welcome home that Specialist Dolby never had. And he walks down, walks down the runway. Of the airport, here are his fans.
he rest in peace and thank you as always for his service. Many of you are aware that earlier uh, last week, uh, the House Republicans removed several people from the Budget Committee, including one named Justin Amash. He was um, in the midst of intertwining a constitutional amendment to the uh, uh, for a balanced budget, and uh, in in the writ in the legislation that was going to uh, basically put our budget at that of uh, I believe the mid 1990s which funding at that point, because of the funding, would drastically reduce not only the uh, many of the departments of illegal, uh, the illegal departments not ratified by the states, but many of the departments, period, would have uh, gone invisible away, one of which Homeland Security. He and several other people were removed. He uh, finally, um, Justin, finally appeared on a TV station to talk about this was on, on CNN. Let's... Uh, talk a little bit about, or let's listen in on this. We know, this morning we're going to talk to um, Congressman uh, Justin Amash. He is a Republican from Michigan, and uh, he got was in uh, for a little bit of a surprise earlier when he discovered that he was booted uh, off the House Budget Committee. Uh, nice to have you with us, Congressman. We appreciate your time. Walk me through how you learned that you had been kicked off this, you know, uh, very much of a, a big deal committee. Well, thanks for having me on, Soledad. And I learned through news reports, uh, so I uh, started to hear the word on Monday and uh, didn't hear anything from leadership uh, Monday, Tuesday, and finally I approached them on Wednesday about it myself. So this is your own party that, that booted you off, and I know you, you went to, to, you know, took to Facebook, to, and you posted this. I'm going to read it for folks. You said, I have still not received a single call, email, or text from Republican leadership confirming this story that you're booted off. In fact, I wouldn't yet even have learned about it if not for the news reports. I look forward to hearing from my party's leadership about why my principled conservative voting record offends them. Has anybody responded to your Facebook post where you're sort of like, hello, anybody want to call me, fill me in? No, not directly. Uh, they've talked about um, this potential uh, scorecard that was used, and uh, Republican leadership insists that that wasn't the... Uh, the main reason for uh, pe booting people off committees, but it's pretty clear they had a scorecard, and if you were in support of more government, you got a positive score, and if you were in support of less government, you got a negative score, Congressman, uh, which seems completely contrary to what you'd expect for Republicans. Congressman, yeah. this is Will Kane. That's certainly one line we've heard, that you guys who, who lost your committee positions were simply too conservative or too Tea Party, but there are others who are saying it's because you guys kind of went out of your way to not only buck leadership, not only vote against leadership, but, but it seemed like you were trying to embarrass them at times. What do you say to that? No, that's, that's totally ridiculous. And, and I would emphasize that this is not a conservative versus liberal thing. Uh, there are people like me in Congress who are out there representing the vast majority of Americans who want us to balance our budget. And it's not a matter of who's willing to work with Democrats or Republicans. For example, I have a balanced budget amendment to the Constitution that has 14 Democratic co-sponsors. It's one of the most popular bipartisan budget proposals out there. So it's not about who will work with Democrats or who will work with Republicans or who's too conservative. It's about whether people are serious about getting things done to balance our budget. And there are a few of us who are very serious about it. Well, and we're you know, actually calling for things like reductions in Pentagon spending. But, but sir, you know, uh, you, that's what you say. You say you have this plan, but you, you, I think what leadership, the message leadership is sending to you is that your plan is out of step with mainstream Republican thought on this. I mean, don't you think they're entitled? The leadership is the leadership. Don't you think they're entitled to decide who sits on their committees? No, absolutely not. I mean, at the end of the day, the American people sent us all there to work on this debt problem. And uh, I'm certainly not in, out of touch with mainstream America. Mainstream America believes that we need to go there and work together, Republicans and Democrats, to balance this budget. So you think the, leadership is, any leader. you think the leadership is out of step with mainstream uh, America? I mean, you think you are out of step with mainstream America, or they are? They are. Look at the kind of deals that are being talked about all the time. Uh, even this $800 billion revenue uh, proposal, it's a drop in the bucket. Uh, every year we have a trillion dollar or more deficit. So when we're talking about $800 billion in taxes over 10 years, that's only a few days of spending every year. We've got to get, if we're going to talk about taxes, and I'm willing to discuss taxes and a lot of others are willing to discuss taxes, then let's talk seriously about taxes. If we're going to talk about spending cuts, then let's talk seriously about spending cuts. Let me ask you but a question. We're not going to take care of this 
$16 trillion debt, unless we do that. Let me ask you a question. There are people who have described what's happening in the GOP as a sort of civil war. You have the, the Tea Party, uh, sort of uh, mainstream uh, conservatives, and then moderates, those that remain. Um, and then there have been sort of calls, certainly in redstate.com, to, to fire, to get rid of John Boehner. Do you think that, that that's going to happen? Would you support that? Well, I think there's a lot of unease in the conference. Uh, there's a lot of unrest at all levels. But I would, again, uh, push back on this idea that it's some kind of Tea Party versus moderate versus mainstream uh, theme. People like me are out there calling for reductions in Pentagon spending, calling for working with the Democrats. And actually, if you look at the four people who were removed from their committees, uh, we've been the ones who have been willing to work with Democrats on a lot of these uh, tough spending issues. So would you support it's, it's the not a matter of the speaker? Or do you think he should be fired? Well, we're going to see... We're going to see how the next few weeks go and whether he's willing to make amends and put out that scorecard. Let the American people see what he based the decision on. Uh, and I think, that's, I think that's critical. We need to see what the decision was based on. And I think the American people need to hear the truth, that both sides need to work together. And we've had enough of these games, these partisan games in D.C., and we've had enough of people uh, sucking up to corporate lobbyists. We need to do what's right for the American people. That sounds like a no. Uh, you know, and I, I'm trying to figure out if it, if it is if it is a no, and I, uh, it is kind of a yes/no question. If the vote were taken right now, would you support him or not? Well, uh, right now I'm not very happy with the speaker. So let's see what happens over the next several weeks. Let's put it that way. All right, uh, Congressman uh, Dustin Amash joining us this morning. Thank you for your time. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. Oh, <laughs> he says, "Well, right now, no." He's not too happy with the speaker. There, there goes to show. There, there just goes to show you. I mean, just how ridiculous uh, the the whole premise is when uh, when you think a party uh, is concerned about the country itself, and you find out it is not. And here's a perfect example of Justin Amash having a constitutional amendment to balance our budget, yet the Republicans are against it. In general, by their very nature, Republicans are more followers than they are leaders. They like to make it look like, well, if you're a Republican, you're a big business owner, and, and there are business owners, obviously, in both parties, but if you look at the huge amount of um, candidates uh, currently holding office, the, cur the current elected officials who are really very easily to buy off, who are exceptionally, exceptionally easy to bribe, etc. And I believe um, Donald Trump made the statement that somebody from China made, a, made uh, said to him how easy it is to buy an American politician, how they just have absolute no, no loyalty. There's a communist who's lived all his life under communism in China saying this to Donald Trump that a communist in China has more loyalty to his country than an American. Today is 12-12. <laughs> uh, 2012. <laughs> kind of strange. <laughs> anyway, let's take a look at Today in History. December 12, 2000. More than a month after the votes are cast, Americans finally know who their next president will be. Republican George W. Bush becomes president-elect after a divided U.S. Supreme Court effectively halts recounts in Florida's contested presidential vote tally. Democrat Al Gore, who briefly conceded to Bush back on election night until the race became just too close to call. Just moments ago, I spoke with George W. Bush and congratulated him on becoming the 43rd President of the United States. And I promised him that I wouldn't call him back this time. I offered to meet with him as soon as possible so that we can start to heal the divisions of the campaign and the contest through which we've just passed. Bush promises to live up to his campaign pledge of being a uniter, not a divider, in the White House. I was not elected to serve one party, but to serve one nation. The President of the United States is the President of every single American, of every race, and every background. 
whether you voted for me or not. I will do my best to serve your interests, and I will work to earn your respect. While more Americans voted for Gore, the high court's ruling gives Bush the edge in the electoral college that actually picks the president. More than a month later, Bush takes office as the second son of a president to serve in the White House himself. Today in History, December 12th, Ed Donahue, The Associated Press. It was this past Sunday night here at LAX about 7.30, probably crowded because a lot of people were coming home from the New Year's holiday, when suddenly a man starts acting strangely. He starts saying, I'm God, I'm in charge. LAX police arrest that man, and he turns out to be a TSA agent. The Transportation Security Administration has a new look and new security policies. The changes rolled out on September 11th of this year. The new rules let the TSA employees avoid the same security screening procedures they're paid to monitor. A CBS 2 News exclusive, they're responsible for keeping the skies safe. But we've uncovered a group of TSA screeners at LAX caught on tape allegedly using drugs. Well, they're supposed to keep us safe uh, when we fly and said they may, might be leaving us even more vulnerable to terrorists. How is that possible? A Homeland Security report is slamming the Transportation Security Administration for not keeping track of security passes, uniforms of former workers. Those passes are the ones that grant access to these highly sensitive areas where baggage is screened, where the planes are parked. Last month at the airport in Chattanooga, Tennessee, my three-year-old daughter Mandy went from this happy little girl to this during an ordeal through security. My cell phone has about 17 seconds of this. Here, a TSA employee we've decided not to show is patting down Mandy while my wife holds her. First, they tried a handheld metal detector. Mandy was not in the mood. And the TSA employee, well, in my opinion, did not know how to communicate to her. All of this started after Mandy's teddy bear was taken away for screening through the X-ray. Couldn't catch a guy with a bomb in his shorts aboard a plane bound for Detroit on Christmas Day. But they're absolutely hell on a disabled child with leg braces. The Transportation Security Administration refused to allow a four-year-old disabled boy to pass through airport security without first taking off his leg braces. A Philadelphia Inquirer columnist reports how screeners at the Philadelphia airport made this insane request of a child taking his first flight to Disney World last March. The four-year-old was born prematurely. He has malformed ankles and low muscle tone in his legs, and he was just beginning to walk at the time this happened. His parents told airport screeners their son couldn't walk without the braces, which are made of metal and plastic. But that didn't matter to the screener who insisted that the child had to walk through the checkpoint on his own. When the father, who was a New Jersey police officer, asked to see a supervisor and told him that his four-year-old son clearly was not a terrorist, he says the supervisor told him, quote, you know why we're doing this, unquote. A new low for the TSA agents, you know, the airport screeners making sure people don't carry bombs or explosives onto airplanes. 
A California woman is vindicated in a year-old case that's going to probably infuriate you. She was arrested, strip-searched, jailed, and brought to trial over applesauce for her ailing 93-year-old mother who she was traveling with. Officers come up and they cuff me and they put me in the police car and by now I'm hysterical because I've never had an encounter with the law. Hayes was sued for misdemeanor battery by one of the TSA agents. Fast forward a year, $15,000, two judges and two attorneys. Everyone, including her family, wanted her to take a plea bargain. But she said in her heart she knew she didn't do anything wrong. The toughest part was they all wanted me to take the plea bargain. And I said, no, I can't do it. And if nothing else, it's an example that I set for my family. And today, a judge in a Glendale courtroom continued the case for six months, told the grandmother of six to stay out of trouble, and the case will be dismissed. This should have happened a year ago. She should never have been arrested. She was arrested at the airport with her elderly mother. She was strip-searched at a jail. This should never have happened. Apparently now, uh, passengers can get in trouble at U.S. airports for simply studying a foreign language. What we have going on is the American Civil Liberties Union has filed a lawsuit today against the Transportation Security Authority and the FBI on behalf of a Californian physics student who was uh, detained, handcuffed, and interrogated at a Philadelphia airport for up to five hours. This student, Nick George, was uh, basically detained because he was studying Arabic at university. She was blindsided by officers when she mistakenly went through an airport security with a bottle of eye contact solution. Robin says she was beaten so badly she actually wondered if she was going to die. Her ordeal was caught on tape. Look at this. I just felt myself flying across the room. I thought I was going to die. I was flying from D.C. back home to New York. I got to the TSA screening, and they x-rayed my bag, and they said, oh, she's got a bottle. And I said, oh, that's just my contact lens solution. Feel free to throw it out. And then they took me to the secondary screening area. The officer came from behind, picked me up, and threw me across the room into another passenger and into a metal chair. And then he took my arm and he started twisting it around till I felt it breaking. And I go, oh my God, you're breaking my arm. Then he picked me up, threw me against the metal table. There were three officers beating me up. There were two holding me down while he smashed my head into the table. I didn't know who was beating me up or why. I just kept saying, get off of me, get off of me, get off of me. He gave me a concussion from hitting my head against the table. Here in Chicago, we watched as passengers like this man are subjected to exhaustive security checks. He's patted down, his wheelchair is examined, and his hands are swabbed, all in public view in a see-through room at the security checkpoint. And he's not alone. It's humiliation. 71-year-old Robert Perry was also taken to a room like this by a TSA agent when his artificial knee set off the metal detector. He yelled at me, no get the belt off. I told you to get the belt off, so I took the belt off. He ran his hands down over and pulled the pants down. They went down around my ankles. At that point, Perry was standing in his underwear in public view. He asked to see a supervisor. That made things worse. She was yelling, I have power. I have power. I have power. The power to stop him from flying to Florida with his wife that day to celebrate their 50th wedding anniversary. Make you feel like you, you have no rights? Well, look, first of all, flying is not a right. It is a privilege. Flying is not a right. It is a privilege. Flying is not a right. It is a privilege. A privilege by whom? Now, that is a definite good question. It's the sort of security we've seen a lot of since 9-11 at places like airports and seaports and major sporting events. Now, here at the bus station. To sort of invent the wheel in advance in case we have to, if there ever is specific intelligence requiring us to be here, this way us and our partners are ready to move in at a moment's notice. What we're looking for are threats to national security as well as immigration law violators. We're also looking at one of our main initiatives, which is ball cash smuggling. 
smuggling. And so passengers ready to head toward Orlando, Jacksonville, and points north had to go through a series of checks while Susu from the Tampa Airport Police Department gave the bus his sniff test. It's all part of what Homeland Security calls VIPER for Visible Intermodal Prevention and Response. Yeah, they're big on initials. In this team effort between TSA, ICE, CBP, and TPD. This is ongoing for us. We do this every day. Well, imagine showing up for your next flight at the airport and being handed a device, a little uh, bracelet, that would serve as your boarding pass. It would track your lost luggage. And it would also shock you with the same power as a taser if you get out of line. Well, a top official with the Department of Homeland Security has expressed interest in these so-called safety bracelets. So is this really the future of air travel? Ronald Reagan anticipated anything like this? Huh. Well, now the UN is up to the gun ban. Listen to this. Don't walk away till you see what the United Nations thinks of your constitutional right to keep and bear arms. The UN believes that humans have no right of self-defense. In the past few years, they banned guns in England, South Africa, Canada, and Australia. And what happened? Violent gun crime went through the roof. So NRA took on the goddess of gun control, the lady in charge of the UN's global gun ban movement, Rebecca Peters. We want to see a drastic reduction in gun ownership across the world yet. We want to see much lower proliferation of guns among the civilian population, but times change. I know that the, it, pistol shooting used to be a sport that was allowed in the UK, and it no longer is. I'm sad for you. I suppose if you miss your sport, Take up another sport. If you don't like their band, that's just too bad. That's the we're in charge attitude of the United Nations. And it's more than an attitude. It's a global gun ban plan, but it's aimed at you. American citizens should have guns that are suitable for, the, for legitimate purposes that they can prove. I mean, American citizens should be, should, should be like any other citizens of the world. The UN would hijack your freedom because American citizens should be like any other citizens of the world? Well, not as long as there's an NRA. That's why you should ensure your gun rights by joining the NRA now. For the past 25 years, NRA members' voices and votes are all that have stood in the way of those who would trample the Second Amendment and force firearms manufacturers, distributors, and retailers out of business. And in this election year, the threats to your firearm freedoms are greater than ever. Join the NRA here and now for just $25. That's a $10 savings. Besides 24-7 defense of your gun rights, you'll get your choice of award-winning NRA magazines, a no-annual-fee cash-back visa for qualified applicants, $1,000 in arms care firearms insurance, plus NRA's 20-piece multi-tool. That's a $24.99 value free. A $35 one-year membership package for just $25 if you act now. Remember... The NRA is the only firewall standing between your gun rights and those who take them away. So join NRA now. Let me lay it all out for you. Here's just a glimpse of what America would look like if there'd been no NRA for the past 25 years. If there'd been no NRA, Al Gore would have become president in 2000, and almost certainly again in 2004. All handguns would be illegal, all semi-automatic firearms would be illegal. You couldn't transport a hunting rifle or any gun across a state line. There wouldn't be hunter protection laws in all 50 states. There wouldn't be range protection laws in all 50 states. There would be no three strikes and you're out or project exile, zero tolerance prosecutions against repeat criminals. There would be no federal law protecting gun owners and gun dealers from harassment by federal agents. Most lawful firearms and ammunition manufacturers would have been sued into bankruptcy. And there'd be no preemption laws in 45 states 
to stop cities and counties from passing their own gun bans of any kind. And 40 states would not have shell-issue right-to-carry permit systems. Here's another way to think about it. There wouldn't be freedom left in the world if it weren't for America. There would be very little freedom left in America if it weren't for the Second Amendment. And there would be no Second Amendment if it weren't for the National Rifle Association. In this election year, it all boils down to this. A quarter century of hard-won progress in the name of freedom is all on the line. That's why you should insure your gun rights by joining the NRA now. For the past 25 years, NRA members' voices and votes are all that have stood in the way of those who would trample the Second Amendment and force firearms manufacturers, distributors, and retailers out of business. And in this election year, the threats to your firearm freedoms are greater than ever. Join the NRA here and now for just $25. That's a $10 savings. Besides 24-7 defense of your gun rights, you'll get your choice of award-winning NRA magazines, a no-annual-fee cash-back visa for qualified applicants, $1,000 in arms care firearms insurance, plus NRA's 20-piece multi-tool. That's a $24.99 value free. A $35 one-year membership package for just $25 if you act now. Remember, the NRA is the only firewall standing between your gun rights and those who take them away. So join NRA now. I'm a strong believer in the right to bear arms. Uh, the NRA is a great organization. However, I'm not for all these laws that say uh, the government says you can uh, take your rifle across state lines. Uh, the Second Amendment is clear. We have the right to bear arms. And we can take it state to state or wherever. Uh, I don't think we obviously can't take it out of the country because um, we got to abide by other countries' laws if we're going to enter their country. But um, the bottom line is that uh, we don't need laws that say you can transport a gun from Indiana to Kentucky to Oklahoma or wherever. Uh, yes, you can. You have the right to bear arms. It's that simple. What does it mean to be a conservative? Well, uh, most people that I have come across have uh, lost that idea, but here's a little history lesson for uh, conservative. Well, I think it's time we ask ourselves if we still know the freedoms that were intended for us by the founding fathers. Not too long ago. government asks that we concentrate our hopes and dreams on one man, that we trust him to do what's best for us. Well, my view of government places trust not in one person or one party, but in those values that transcend persons and parties. citizens are abused or attacked anywhere in the world on the direct orders of a hostile regime, we will respond. Terrorism is the preferred weapon of weak and evil men. And as Edmund Burke reminded us, in order for evil to succeed, it's only necessary that good men do nothing. I'll tell you where I stand. I do not favor a peacetime draft or registration, but... benefit levels that will attract and keep highly motivated men and women in our volunteer force. I think we're foretelling our senior citizens that no one in this country should be denied medical care because of a lack of funds. But I think we're against forcing all citizens, regardless of need, into a compulsory government program. We're for a provision that destitution should not follow unemployment by reason of old age. And to that end, we've accepted Social Security as a step toward meeting the problem. But we're against those entrusted with this program when they practice deception regarding its fiscal shortcomings. 
when they charge that any criticism of the program means that we want to end payments to those people who depend on them for a livelihood. They've called it insurance. is not the sole answer to our energy needs. America must get to work producing more energy. Large amounts of oil and natural gas lay beneath our land and off our shores untouched because the present administration seems to believe the American people would rather see more regulation, more taxes, and more controls than more energy. Ours will be, we have to move ahead. But we're not going to leave anyone behind. Ronald Reagan. Wow. <laughs> of course, we all know. <laughs> oh, he just basically told it like told it like it like it is. What an awesome. Oh man, just he was an amazing speaker. Although not the conservative every everybody thought, as far as from a monetary standpoint. He certainly could talk, and he certainly knew what he was talking about. What does it mean to be an American? We're going to go into a kind of a long piece here, but it, it's really important. Let's go back to an era where um, – here, this is a piece going back to an era where uh, we really were kind of uh, a lot more racially inclined. We were a lot more easily manipulated. Um, we still are, but sometimes people are extremely simple. Here's a piece that I really, really like, and it talks about um, the piece is talking. And it, it, it's an older guy who went through Nazi Germany explaining to a younger guy who's easily manipulated and riled up, talking about just the ploys of government, of dictators. Mike's got something, all right. He's got America. But there are guys who stay up nights figuring out how to take that away from him. I happen to know the facts. My friends, I'm just an average American. But I'm an American-American. And some of the things I see in this country of ours make my blood boil. I see people with foreign apple money. I see Negroes holding jobs that belong to me and you. Now I ask you, if we allow this thing to go on, what's going to become of us real Americans? I've heard this kind of talk before, but I never expected to hear it in America. This fellow seems to know what he's talking about. Huh? What are we real Americans going to do about it? You'll find it right here in this little pamphlet. The truth about Negroes and foreigners. The truth about the Catholic Church. Do you believe in that kind of talk? That all makes pretty good sense to me. And I tell you, friends, we'll never be able to call this country our own until it's a country without. Without what? Yeah, without what? Without Negroes. Without alien foreigners. Without Catholics. Without Freemasons. You know What's wrong with the Masons? I'm a Mason. Hey, that fellow's talking about me. And that makes a difference, doesn't it? These are your enemies. These are the people who are trying to take over our country. Now you know them. You know what they stand for. And it's up to you and me to fight them. Fight them and destroy them before they destroy us. Thank you. Before he said Mason, you were ready to agree with him. Well, yes, but he was talking about... What about those other people? In this country, we have no other people. We are American people. What about you? You aren't American, right? I was born in Hungary, but now I am an American citizen. And I have seen what this kind of talk can do. I saw it in Berlin. What were you doing there? I was a professor at the university. I heard the same words we have heard today. But I was a fool then. I thought Nazis were crazy people, stupid fanatics. But unfortunately, it was not so. You see, they knew that they were not strong enough to conquer a unified country. So they split Germany into small groups. 
They used prejudice as a practical weapon to cripple the nation. Of course, that was not easy to do. They had to work hard to do it. You see, we human beings are not born with prejudices. Always they are made for us. Made by someone who wants something. Remember that when you hear this kind of talk. Somebody is going to get something out of it. And it isn't going to be you. This is not classroom theory. I saw it happen. I saw it first in Berlin in 1932. Five young men that I knew were standing in the crowd listening to the Nazi speaker. Eric was a Catholic. Anton, a student of mine, was a Jew. Heinrich owned a small hardware store. Karl was a farmer. And Hans was an unemployed metal worker. To all Bavarian Germans, I say at this time you inherited the nation which rightfully belongs to you. To you alone belongs the glorious destiny of the greater Germany. The Nazi party will provide land for the farmer, work for the worker, and profits for the small businessman. Who is getting these things now? The Jew. The Jew who has stolen our nation and our birthright. Who makes all the money and takes all our jobs? The Jew! He must be shunned. He must be ostracized. He must be eliminated. And the Catholics, we don't want our great nation run by a foreign church. We Germans will know what to do with these people when the time comes. They and their faith must be destroyed. Then there are the Freemasons. In Germany, we have no place for secret societies. There will be only one society, and that is the Nazi party. There will be no secrecy about that in the new greater Germany. One by one, he attacked each minority and he split them off one from the other. These men were all fellow Germans when they came here today. Now they were split into rival groups, suspicious of each other, hating each other. They were being swindled, all of them. But the man who was really being fooled was Hans. He was pure German, according to Nazi standards. To him, they promised everything, and he fell for it. That's how Hans became a superman. They gave him a uniform, and they pumped up his ego. He wasn't just a little fellow out of work anymore. He was a member of the master race. Hans and thousands of others like him, all playing a sucker's game. They gambled with other people's liberty. And of course, they lost their own. A nation of suckers. Hitler needed these people. There was lots of work to be done. There were trade unions to be smashed, because unions were organized and might offer resistance. There were many political parties in Germany. These the Nazis destroyed. They were determined to smash every organization where people might band together and resist them. There were Jews to be beaten and killed. The Jews were not powerful, but they were a convenient excuse for all the nation's ills. And besides, a Nazi party member could not take over this man's store. Hundreds of Catholics were put in jail because the Catholic Church had strength and could resist the Nazi drive for power. They had split the nation into a hundred pieces. And then, one by one, they had destroyed the pieces. Over these broken pieces, the Nazis rode into power. One party, one nation, one religion. These men had won their struggle for power. They now ruled all of Germany. But still, they had trouble with their oldest and most persistent enemy, the truth. They found that truth does not die easily. And so they decided to abolish truth. One great source of truth is literature. So they burned books, 20 million of them. Many great men in Germany who were spokesmen for truth were jailed or driven from their country. Teachers, writers, scientists. Education was discouraged. In five years, college attendance dropped 53%. It was forbidden to listen to a British radio program or read an American newspaper. In Nazi Germany, you had to get your information from Dr. Goebbels. 
he knew what was best for him. The church was one force in Germany still strong enough to proclaim the truth in public. This Catholic priest was arrested the following day on charges of immorality. The Protestant church also continued to try and fight for truth. The Nazis put this man in a concentration camp. There were others who spoke for truth, and I am proud to say that educators were among them. And what, may I ask, is an Aryan? I don't know myself. But let us see what our present so-called authorities have to say about it. They say he is tall, slender, Come in, gentlemen. It's comfortable. And remember that there is no master race that is a scientific truth. Anyone who tells you otherwise is lying. And so for all practical purposes, truth had been abolished in Germany. A lot of my German friends wondered what had hit them. How did it happen? Where did it start? It started right here. And this was where it could have been stopped. If those people had stood together, if they had protected each other, they could have resisted the Nazi threat. Together they would have been strong. But once they allowed themselves to be split apart, they were helpless. When that first minority lost out, Everybody lost time. They made the mistake of gambling with other people's freedom. Now let's see how those bets paid off. Carl the farmer was gambling on a better life for himself. What he got was extra hours of back-breaking work, as much as a hundred hours a week. He was forced to stay on his land and produce what he was told to produce, because now Hitler was preparing for war. For Heinrich, who owned the hardware store, but that didn't pay off either. 104,000 small businesses were closed in two years. And for Hunt, conditions hadn't improved any. He had a job now in the munitions factory, but he worked long hours for little pay. The working conditions grew increasingly bad. And even though he didn't like the job, he wasn't permitted to leave it. And when Hitler decided the time was right, Germany went to war, not by declaring war, but by a carefully prepared sneak attack. Once again, Hitler needed Hans to do his dirty work. Hans was an expert at brutality this time, and Hitler had decided to use Hans and his brutality against other people, the Czechs, the Poles, the French, the Russians. But in the crucial test of war, Hitler's race theories didn't pay off. His pure-blooded supermen were defeated by the mongrel armies he despised. By the British of El Alamein. By the Russians at Stalingrad. 
then on D-Day by American soldiers of every color and religion who smashed across the Normandy beaches and drove on through to the heart of Germany. For the misguided Germans who had swallowed the Nazi bait, the Nazi game did not pay off. The continent of Europe was strewn with millions of German bodies, pure Aryan bodies. Karl, the farmer, was left in the snow outside of Moscow. Heinrich stayed in Italy at Salerno. And Hans, who was going to rule the world, got only a little patch of Normandy that he could call his own. We must never let that happen to us or to our country. We must never let ourselves be divided by race or color or religion, because in this country we all belong to minority groups. I was born in Hungary, you are a mason, these are minorities, and then you belong to other minority groups too. You are a farmer, you have blue. you go to the Methodist church. Your right to belong to these minorities is a precious thing. You have a right to be what you are and say what you think, because here we have personal freedom, we have liberty. And these are not just fancy words. This is a practical and priceless way of living. But we must work at it. We must guard everyone's liberty, or we can lose our own. If we allow any minority to lose its freedom by persecution or by prejudice, we are threatening our own freedom. And this is not simply an idea. This is good, hard, common sense. You see, here in America, it's not a question whether we tolerate minority. America is minority. And that means you and me. So let's not be suckers. We must not allow the freedom or dignity of any man to be threatened by any act or word. Let's be selfish about it. Let's forget about we and they. Let's think about us. the story of why we don't buy the BS given to us by government. The Obama administration leads the way in just the absolute lies. Um, it's, it's been through all of them, but I mean, that's just a perfect example. When you have three who stand together, the greatest way of, of um, you divide them, and that's the easiest way to fight them. Instead of fighting the group, you fight one-on-ones, all three individuals, or they fight each other and take care of any kind of uh, problem you may have in order to attain your goal. Thomas Paine has a great idea about a second American Revolution. Let's give a listen to what he has to say. What would have happened in 1789 or 1942 or 9-11 if a top government official stepped in front of the people and publicly proclaimed America was a nation of cowards. He would have been run out of the country on a rail, packaged in tar and feathered at least. But that's what happened in 2009, and you did nothing. Have you become a nation of cowards, America? In the greatest show of arrogance and disdain any Congress ever showed any citizenry, your dysfunctionally elite, self-interested, non-representing representatives passed the largest spending bill in history without reading it, and you did nothing. You want them to obey your constitutional mandate and secure your borders, and they ignore you. You ask them to enforce your immigration laws, and they ignore you. You say stop the madness of handing $300 billion of a bankrupted treasury to illegal alien welfare, rewarding them for making a mockery of your laws, and they ignore you. And now in open defiance of the overwhelming will of the people are preparing more amnesty programs. You say, stop exporting my nation's vital industries to foreign shores, and they ignore you. You say no to using your money to bail out failed, corrupt, and greedy businesses, and they ignore you. You say, implement the E-Verify system so American jobs go to American workers, and they ignore you. If your self-serving Congress were a business, they'd all be in jail now. The biggest traders among you hold elective office. Only when they feel the almighty wrath of we the people marching in the streets from California to New York shouting we're mad as hell and we want our country back will they get the message they work for you. Wake up, America. While you were playing with the toys of your consumer wealth, you lost much more than your bloated economy of living beyond your means. You lost your representative democracy. 
Your servants have become your masters. Taxation without representation is tyranny. But still you look to government to solve problems they created in the first place. You're sucking at the hind tit of a dead cow. Why isn't there a three million person We the People March on Washington? A nationwide taxpayer's revolt. Thousands of cars and trucks surrounding your nation's capital, bringing your failed government to a standstill. Democracy doesn't repress power. It unleashes it to we the people. Take it now. They dictated an economic salvation plan to you. Now it's time to stick it to them with a we the people stimulus package. Require all laws that apply to the rest of the country to equally apply to Congress. Start by first removing the elite privileges that place your non-representing representatives above you, not with you. Require all laws that apply to the rest of the country to equally apply to Congress. Repeal Congress's right to vote for their own raises. Balance the federal budget. Force your legislators to do what you now have to do. Live within your means. If you don't, you're committing national suicide. Make Congress pay into the Social Security system. They make laws for it. Now they might be interested in thinking twice before they allow 20 million illegal aliens to reap the benefits of a retirement program the legal citizens paid into all their lives. Long-term power corrupts. Limit Congress from serving more than two terms. That's all you give your president. Let them search for their own 401k plan instead of the gross unfairness of awarding them their full salary for the rest of their lives after only serving one term. Stop paying for lawmakers' insurance premiums. After all, they're only part-time employees. They might pass some laws on the insurance companies if they had to find one themselves. Throw out of office every congressman and woman who didn't bother to read the biggest spending bill in history before voting for it. With the money you save from all of the above, put it into increased salary and benefits for the men and women of the armed forces. They never fail you. Start no war unless you intend to win it. Make English the official language of America. You talk of united we stand, but do nothing to make it happen. Give every legal immigrant a chance to succeed. Not one cent of taxpayer money for illegal aliens. We are a nation of laws and do not reward lawbreakers. Abolish the Electoral College and put the election of the president back in the hands of we the people. Bring back universal service. Two years in the military or two years in community involvement. Ensure your future. Rekindle the spirit of America. Service, honor, and duty to country. Give your young people a chance to understand they are entitled to nothing they don't earn. Wake up, America. You've allowed yourselves to become little more than cowering spectators, watching the nation your grandparents built, the richest, most powerful, most self-sufficient republic in history, with the highest standard of living any nation ever achieved, now in the middle of the greatest unprecedented decline in modern history. The world's only superpower can't defend its borders, balance its budget, win its wars, manufacture its own products, or protect its own currency. Your total government debt obligation in the next several years is approaching the gross domestic product of the entire world. You've diminished the future of your children, grandchildren, and ten more generations of Americans. On September 11, 2001, 300 million Americans put aside what divided them and rallied around what united them. You proudly flew your flags, wore T-shirts that said, These colors don't run. Then your leadership told you to do nothing. Let your professional army do the fighting. Perhaps you learned to do nothing too well. 233 years ago, the silent majority in Boston got fed up with taxation without representation and held a little tea party to prove the anger of we the people is on the march. It started the first American Revolution. Now it's time to start the second American Revolution. Take an envelope. Put a tea bag inside. Simple. Seal it and send it to your non-representing representatives in Congress. They'll get the idea. We're mad as hell and we want our country back. Look in your mirror. There's your leader. Phone your talk radio host. Call for a tax protest. Set your internet communities on fire with the idea. But if you decide to do nothing again, then buy a gun. You'll need it. My name is Thomas Paine. Don't give up hope, America. Your country needs a new greatest generation. Answer the call. Get into the fight. It's a good time to be a patriot. The second American Revolution has just begun. Awesome. Simply awesome. On behalf of C. Robert Jones, I am Cool Mike. Good
disguise, the feeling is right. You fall in love for the first time. Heartbeat and kisses so sweet. So much I'm loving the moonlight. I see, I see, I see, I see. 